What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Shirley Halperin, Executive Editor of Music. Rocio Guerrero, global head of Latin music at Amazon Music, has collected many professional accolades over her career. If there's a power list of women in music, she's on it. Latin leaders, she's there too. And among international executives, the well-traveled native of Spain ranks high as well. But to hear Rocio's story is to connect with a personal journey one which took her from a musical family in a small Spanish town to Brazil, London, Stockholm, and now New York, which she's called home for 10 years. Talk about being early on music streaming. Rocio joined Spotify in 2011 before the service had even launched in the U.S. She started there as a sales planner and rose up the ranks to the position of head of global music culture's shows and editorial. That's when Rocio truly went global. Her purview at Spotify included Latin music, of course, but also Indian, Arabic, and African songs as well. Dialed in on the music consumption habits of the diaspora, Rocio then took her institutional knowledge of the tech platform and learned the music business from the other side, joining Warner Music Group in 2018 as vice president of A&R and cross-cultural strategy. Just before the pandemic, Amazon came calling and Rocio signed on to lead the Latin music team. For the last three years, she's been busy building exclusive original content opportunities, be it video, podcast, live streaming, or playlisting, and has taken on such ambitious projects as the mini documentary La Cuna del Dembo, tracing the evolution of the Dembo subgenre and featuring Latin music's biggest current crossover star, Bad Bunny. Thanks in large part to top album and ticket seller Bad Bunny, Latin music has seen explosive growth in recent years, and in 2022 exceeded $1 billion in U.S. Latin music revenues for the first time, up nearly 25% from 2021. 
Amazon Music has also seen continued growth as it relates to Latin music, which is not in itself a genre, but rather a diverse musical throughline for Spanish-speaking artists worldwide. On this episode, which follows Variety's April 13th Miami Entertainment Town event, recognizing Latin executive talent, I talked to Rocio about her MO, to superserve music's underserved globally as well as her accomplishments, which include a Maluma concert live stream from Medellin, and what she learned during Spotify's startup years, namely Swedish, a suggestion of the platform's co-founder, Daniel Ek. Join us after the break. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 1067 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's my conversation with Amazon Music's Rocio Guerrero. So you grew up in Spain. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Spain in a small town in the middle of nowhere, really. It's like uh, between Sevilla and Madrid. And my family is still there. I have some relatives in Madrid, but most of them, my dad, my mom, my brother, they're still in Don Benito. How did you get into music? growing up in Spain? So my family, it's a family of musicians. So I was really, it's in my DNA. I was born to music. My mom is a pianist. Both my mom and my dad worked at the Conservatory of Music in Don Benito. My mom was the director. My dad was the vice director. She's an interesting dynamic. That's all we talked about at home. It was my second home. I started my musical studies at three. My mom was my teacher at the beginning. And then, yeah, and then I studied piano, then moved to violin. So, you know, I did at least 17 years of music, um, classical. My sister is also a music teacher. She's a pianist as well. So we all play instruments. None of them work on the music industry per se. But uh, both my mom and my sister do teach music in um, college and in that school as well. Wow. So were you supposed to be a professional musician? To be honest, growing up, I was like rebelling against it. I was mad that my mom was pushing me and, you know, telling me you have to do music. I just didn't understand. Why did I have to do that? Now I do. Right. So. When I moved out of my home to study and I went to college, I did journalism. I quit, so to speak. I was like, oh, I'm free. Now I don't have to do classical music anymore. Then I took it back after the years, by the way. 
I actually, 10 years ago, I studied in New York again. So, you know, I think the teenagers period kind of took me to another side. So I never thought of being a professional musician now. Okay. How did you end up in the States? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a story. Um, you know, after I went to study to Madrid journalism, I got a scholarship to study in London. And that was an inflection point for me. I get goosebumps even, even though like, you know, it's my life. But I remember very clearly the first time I leave my country is when I realized how little did I know about the world and how much was out there to explore. So I really never came back. <laughs> After that, um, I went to Brazil. I spent a few months in Brazil just because, um, learned the language, learned the culture, which was fascinating, by the way, Brazil is a, another universe. After Brazil, went back to London, stay a few months. I was sure about what to do really next. So my mom convinced me, come back to Spain, figure it out what you're going to do with your life. So went back to Madrid for a short period of time. And that's where I found my first job in the industry, per se. And then from there, moved to Stockholm with that job. I stayed there for three years, Stockholm, New York. And I've been in New York ever since. 45 was very small at the time. We were only 100 people, I think. And what's funny is that Spain happened to be one of the first three countries that it was available at. So that's why, um, you know, I got the job. It was in sales. So it was really not like still like musically focused. But yeah, I mean, it was just the beginning. <laughs> that's amazing. So you were in Stockholm. 2012 and 2013, that was like before it even launched in the U.S. Mm -hmm, that's correct. So when I moved to Stockholm, Spotify still wasn't available in the U.S. or Latin America. It was a very interesting time because it was a very small company and it just took off, you know. And when Spotify launched in Latin America and the U.S. is when I moved to New York. I liked Stockholm. So it's just like a different world. Uh, in summer, it's day all day. And then in winter, it's dark most of the time, which I had a very hard time dealing with as a Southern Spanish person. Um, it was beautiful. Talking about uh, Latin music today. So the big headline when it comes to the Latin music business is that U.S. Latin music revenues in 2022 exceeded a billion dollars for the first time. And it also, the genre grew significantly faster than the broader industry. It's up nearly 25% from the year before. Also at Amazon Music, there's been continued growth in Latin America. Your monthly streams of Latin music has doubled year over year worldwide. Why the boom? What's driving it? What's happening, right? The boom really started a few years ago. And even before the first boom, I mean, the first most recent boom with Despacito, as you might remember, Latin music was always there. So just to give context, Latin music was always big because there is a lot of people that live in Latin America and Spain and in the diaspora is huge. As you know, in the U.S., the settlement is big in Europe as well. So it was always big. What happened was that with streaming, 
we started counting that consumption and those streams. So you could see being in the inside how the more people were listening to Latin music coming from Latin America, the more penetration of streaming in those territories, the more Latin songs were popping up in the global chart. So it was just math. <laughs> it was just math. And the more Latin music songs were popping up in the global charts, the more visibility of Latin music to non-Latin audiences. So it was like a vicious circle that started with streaming, but it also in parallel, the population of the United States continued to grow with Hispanics, right? Like today, young adults, 25% of young adults are Hispanics and they're growing six times faster than non-Hispanics. So obviously when you think about the combination of the streaming penetration in Latin countries, the growing Latin population in the US, these are people that are very digital oriented they over-index in consumption, music consumption, digital consumption. So when you put all of that together, this happens. And it's going to continue to happen. It's, just, it's no way to go back because the population continues to grow. The music continues to grow. The exposure to other cultures continue to happen. So this is honestly just not the beginning, but we are still at the beginning of a very long journey, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Well, and especially like looking at your journey, when Bad Bunny's Un Verano Sinti became the first non-English language to top the Billboard 200, it feels like in a way it was like the culmination of the many years that you spent building this Latin music global expansion strategy, which was kind of instrumental in globalizing the genre. That was your job at, at Spotify is working with these musical cultures and, and diasporas. I mean, did it feel personal to you? Oh, I, you're talking and look, I'm getting like goosebumps. <laughs> I get a little emotional because it was and it still is something so incredible to be part of and have contributed even if just a tiny bit. I always, I remember a few years ago, I would always say to my team, you know what happened with food, international food? Like food has been embedded into other cultures. Like we all eat Indian food, we eat Latin food, we eat, you know, a lot Japanese food. I always told them we can make this happen with music. Like imagine a world in which music, no matter the language, the genre, is just it. It's just part of mainstream, it's part of pop culture. It represents the world as it is, right? So being part of that was always very personal to me. That was my mission. It still is my mission today is give Latin culture the space that it deserves. It's just pushing a little bit something that was going to happen, you know, and back then you'd be surprised, like we wouldn't have a lot of like Latin music songs in non-Latin playlists or stations. And it was like challenging sometimes to make that happen. But now you look back at this and you look at these playlists or stations or any radio station and it just happens. And every time I'm on a taxi, for instance, and I hear this um, pop radio sound like on, and I suddenly hear a Latin song, I'm like, wow, like, this and, and it's just normal, you know? And I'm like, this just was not normal 
10 years ago. It just yeah. wasn't. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to be part of. This penetration of this English-speaking market, you mentioned before that, you know, the numbers of Hispanics are just larger. So is this kind of a bellwether to pay attention to because of its cultural impact? Or is it really just a, a question of demographics? And, you know, like what what is opening the door here? Is it just the number of people or are people actually open to other cultures and other languages? It's an excellent question. And it's both. I think because of the demographic, because of a streaming penetration, we were given the opportunity to be heard and the more songs that were popping up, the more open people were to listening to other stuff that were in different languages. And that just like any other transition, it just happens. And when you get to the other side, it's just part of the norm. It's part of mainstream, it's part of pop culture. And I think it's both. I absolutely think streaming has also helped people be more open about music because you also listen to more music in general Thanks for streaming, you listen to music when you're working out, where you are trying to focus, when you're trying to party. So that in itself is giving you more chances to hear to more artists. And when you're getting all these like other songs popping up, you're giving it the chance. So it's a combination of both. Is there a particular subgenre of Latin music that is reacting more than than others? Like I, I definitely want to talk about regional Mexican, but it seems like reggaeton was kind of the first one that was really embraced by U.S. audiences. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. And I'm glad you bring this up because Latin is not a genre, right? You know, sometimes Latin gets compared to other Anglo genres. And I always say, wait, no, you need to talk about Anglo music and Latin music. And then you have hip hop and we have hip hop and you have rock and we have rock. It seems obvious, right? But you'd be surprised that a lot of people don't understand that nuance, which is massive, right? Um, within all of the genres of Latin music, which again, you have all the same ones that you're familiar with in the Anglo world, you then also have Latin exclusive genres like salsa, bachata, merengue. Those are very just like Latin music. And then you have the typical genres. Reggaeton and upbeat Latin music was the one that really started the globalization because it's something you dance to. It's something you party. It's not like the lyric, the most important part of the the song, it's important too, and in many cases they have strong, powerful messages, but it's the feeling. So that combined with the fact that in the Latin markets, for us, celebration and parting is part of our culture. That is, is one of the reasons why it did resonate with all of the Latin countries. By default then, those were the songs that were popping up the most in non-Latin countries. And again, you get a feeling. It doesn't matter the language you're listening to. It's a big, feeling good, danceable track. So it makes sense that that was the genre that started like the movement. But I'm hoping that reggaeton opened the doors so people would be open to hear other songs and other languages. And now it's our job to prove that there are many other genres of Latin music. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Rocio Guerrero. 
Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. And we're back with Amazon's global head of Latin music, Rocio Guerrero. What is sort of the essence of your job as a curator at Amazon? So right now, our Latin team just takes care of many different aspects of the Latin business. One of them is the curation and the programming. We have an excellent programming team that takes care of literally a soundtrack to your life. And they're literally investigating all the trends that are happening. What should we curate for what moments? That's the work I started at at Spotify, by the way. So I know it's a beautiful work. It's very rewarding. You're listening to users' feedback, and then you're also trying new stuff, presenting to customers and fans things they didn't even know they liked yet. That is such an exciting part of our programming job. There is something very exciting that we do, particularly at Amazon, which is a global Latin syndicate. A syndicate basically means that we are curating for local audiences in the different local markets, but we also have regional and Latin global playlists. So what we do is that we help music travel across countries. So when we see something is starting to work in one country, we transfer that to the regional playlist so we can showcase that music to other countries. And then from there, if it works, we move it into global playlists so maybe non-Latin fans can also enjoy. So it's a, it's a very exciting part of the business for sure. Talking about a subgenre that has really seen significant growth, regional Mexican. Explain what it is and why we're seeing, and I love the, the name of your initiative, GenMex, so great, um, why we're seeing this, like, I feel like it was always there, but just a, more attention on it, more, I guess, more consumption of it. Yeah, so regional Mexican is a local genre that it's massive in Mexico, but it's also huge in the U.S. because of how big the Mexican population is. So the genre has historically been really isolated in a way to those territories, U.S., Mexico, a little bit of Colombia. Now, streaming in those markets is also growing really fast. And you probably aware that Mexico is one of the biggest streaming like capitals of the world. Um, so of course, what's happening is a lot of regional Mexican consumption is coming from those countries. And it's kind of happening what happened with Latin music, but within our world. So the more people are consuming regional Mexican from those territories, the more it's popping up into other Latin countries, the more other Latin artists want to jump on that wagon 
the more Latin songs that are regional Mexican are coming out there that are being globalized. And that's what's happening currently with artists like Peso Pluma. They are so big right now. Christian Nodal, Bad Bunny just released regional Mexican song with Grupo Frontera, literally like out of the blue. It's such an exciting movement within the Latin music space to see how artists don't care about genres anymore. They are all collaborating with each other. A lot of the young Latin artists don't want to put themselves in a genre box. They're just doing different like uh, fusion like stuff. It's the nature of our market too. It's so big. Each Latin country is a little different to each other. We are connected culturally by many traits, but we're also very different. But the nature of this market is so powerful because it allows artists to just collaborate with each other all the time. If one Mexican artist wants to increase their career in Spain, they're going to collaborate with a Spanish artist and vice versa. And then a Brazilian one with a U.S. Latin artist. Like it's just kind of impressive. And you don't see that in other markets, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that the Latin Grammys are going to be in Spain next year. Very interesting. And also South of Spain, like um, that's where I'm from. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, look, I think changes are always good and it's going to be exciting to see what happens when you take it out of the U.S. But it speaks a lot about the global nature of this music category. Tell me about content that you guys are creating at Amazon Music beyond actual music. There's there's podcasts, there's documentaries. You mentioned the live stream. Are these your initiatives and your ideas? Yeah, so we have a team for Latin music. We have a team in the U.S., but also countries in Latin America, in Spain. We collaborate and work together to deliver the best content and initiatives that we can for Latin music fans. One of the things that I was most excited about when I moved to Amazon Music was precisely the, the breadth of possibilities that a place like Amazon could offer um, to artists and fans. I was very drawn to that. You know, I'm like, wow, this is going to be exciting. And it is very exciting. <laughs> I've been here three years and I can say I was right in my assumption. And, you know, one of the things that we're very proud of is that entertainment offering that we can provide to artists. And, you know, it goes from, we talked about playlists, all of the stuff that you can do in the Amazon Music app, but then you have live stream, we have Twitch, we have Alexa with the voice um, projects, we have video, and we spoke about video before. Latin audiences over-indexed, so it's something that we really focus a lot. We have podcasts, we have um, merch. So there's so many different things that we're doing for the Latin business. And there are things that have never been done. There are things that are new. Like it's, it's just very exciting. Not too long ago, we released a mini doc. Speaking about subgenres, by the way, Laguna del Dembow is one of those initiatives that we do to focus on the subgenres that maybe don't get as much visibility or they are about to, or they are happening right now. Dembo is one of those subgenres that it's really like happening, um, coming from the Dominican Republic. Um, this documentary, we have Bad Bunny. We had a lot of different artists that we're part of. It was a great, great initiative. With live streams with Don Maluma, Maluma live stream last year was very special because it was the most important moment of his career and that's what I was so excited about it's like 
how are we together with artists in those moments and bring that to the rest of the world? So we did the global licensing from Medellin, his hometown to the world. It was called Put Medallon El Mapa. So it's like, put it on the map. And it was so beautiful. It was so exciting. And this is the type of things that we really are looking forward to do. With merch, I mean, you're familiar with the merch business. We've done several stuff with J Balvin. We did a Monopoly uh, last year. We've done uh, Murakami exclusive lines. So merch business, obviously a very exciting one that it's very natural to Amazon, obviously. We've also done exclusive podcasts. We had one with Becky G a couple of years ago. We right now did La Semanal, which is actually becoming a Twitch show. So you see, there is all these different channels that we can play with and uh, excite both fans and artists. And that's honestly something we, we really are focusing on right now. So great. I haven't had a chance to, but I'm going to watch the documentary because... I love those stories about how a type of music was born. Like reggaeton is a fascinating stories, like people who came to the Panama Canal. And, you know, I just, I love that stuff. I love being able to contextualize it. And it, it's, it's really great that you guys do that. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about your time at Warner because you were at Warner Music Latin at VP of A&R and Cross-Cultural Strategy which included artist development, identifying emerging talent. Is there any artists that you worked with or examples of key campaigns that you were very proud of? Yeah, so my time at Warner was very exciting because I wanted to get closer to the beginning of the music journey, that makes sense. Like I wanted to get closer to the artist look at everything from the inside, gain even more respect for music. So I was super lucky. I was based um, in New York out of the Atlantic offices, but reported to the Warner Latin branch in Miami. And the best part of my job, it was that cross-cultural interactions. So I would bring some Latin artists to some of the maybe Atlantic artists, and we would do some crossovers. We did one with Paulo Londra. I mean, we did many, Anita. I remember this uh, duo called Las Villas that we signed while my time there. And they are like amazing. They're twins, beautiful, so talented. I'm still looking at them very closely all the time. But yeah, in general, getting closer to artists, getting closer to the managers and the studio part of it. And then how do you globalize this from the label side. That was definitely very exciting. Okay, so being the global head of Latin music, I assume that involves traveling a lot. Well, I mean, I have to admit during the pandemic, things slowed down a lot. Prior to the pandemic, yeah, I definitely had to travel Mexico, Brazil, Spain, Miami. I go to Miami a lot from New York. I go to LA sometimes, but Miami, it's definitely where I go the most. Miami, it's where a lot of the artist community and the industries, they are based there. It's a huge, huge industry. We have some of the industry in LA, but Miami is definitely the number one city for the industry and the artists. So that's where all of the companies that we work with, the music labels, our managers, Puerto Rico as well. But Miami is the hub, without a doubt. You speak several languages, right? Yes. So what do you speak? You speak English, 
Spanish, Portuguese. French, and I knew a little bit of Swedish, but that's gone. It was one of the requirements um, we had to actually learn Swedish. Are you serious? Daniel Ek made everyone learn Swedish? No, it was optional, but it was encouraged. And mm -hmm. But also, you know, uh, my partner was Swedish at the time. So, you know, I, I did immerse <laughs> myself into the culture. And I do like doing that, though. Every time I have lived somewhere, I like to really immerse myself. Do you feel that's been an advantage for you being multilingual? I think both music um, studies and languages definitely allow my brain to be on the move all the time. I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like my brain is always constantly like moving. Mm -hmm. So it's, more, it's like agile and that's allow me to kind of like absorb things maybe quicker. I don't know. Um, it's hard to know because I don't know anything different, but I think definitely studying music and languages has helped me. Last thing, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. And there was one thing that you wrote in there that I really love. You wrote, it's always day one. I love that. That is actually, I can claim that that's Amazon's, that's uh, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um, always day one means... Every day is a day and an opportunity to innovate. It's a day to start from scratch. You don't slow down. You always think forward. You always try new things. You never, you're not scared of failing, you know? And that resonated so much with me. I literally believe so, so much in that statement that I take it to heart every day. And I use it with my family. I, I use it all the time. It's just something that with, Two, three words, you're saying so much and you're packing so much. And it really kind of like embraces what I am in a way. So, yeah, it's always day one. I love that. Rocio, thank you so much for speaking with us. And we're just so impressed with everything that you're doing. Congratulations. And thanks for being on Strictly Business. Thank you so much, Shirley. Honestly, it was such a pleasure. I'm, I mean this, I'm super honored and I hope that was useful to you and to everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Variety Strictly Business. This episode was edited by Lawrence Schroeder. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes featuring conversations with media movers and shakers. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good, because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them, but with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly, so get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.